Today we're talking about friendship in the workplace. Krina, do you want to be my friend? Yes, please. <laughs> Welcome to Get to Work. I'm Krina Hoyer. And I'm Kirsten Barron. And we are so glad you're here. We care about you. We want to talk about you and your workplace. We want to talk about women and work. We want women to be happy and successful and supported. And we like to talk to each other. Hopefully that comes we're friends. through. Yes. Let's talk about that. That's our topic for today is friendship in the workplace. Yeah. Which is interesting because... That's how you and I became friends. Yeah. In the workplace. And in a client relationship, yes. right? Yes. And then we transition into being friends. To being like friends' friends. Yeah. And now we're sort of working together again. But it feels like friends. So we speak from a variety of angles on this whole thing. How many friends do you have that you work with? I have what I would consider two friends in my workplace, and I work with 30 people. Okay. They are people that I would be friends with if I was no longer there. Probably one more than the other. So probably just really one. If I was really thoughtful and truthful and clear about it, one friend in the workplace. And is everyone in your workplace who's listening to this podcast now thinking, wait, what? It's them. Is it me? Yes. And your answer is yes. Yes, of it's course it's you. It's every single one of you. you. I You're love you. You're the best. You're the one. Exactly. You who are listening. The one friend listens to this podcast. You know who you are. And you're my friend. <laughs> so from your perspective, talk to me about what it means to be your friend. So friendship for me is like a multidimensional thing. Like there are friends that are like the close core friends. Then there's like another second tier of friends. There's a third tier of people that I would consider acquaintances. People you joy and like, but didn't have a relationship with. You just run into them. You think they're lovely, but they don't really share your life, right? So for me... My friends are people who share my values, but they can be different because the core values were that I care about is authenticity, kindness, truthfulness. They tell me the truth. I love it, my friends. People that tell me the truth, I have a tremendous amount of respect for, and I want to be around them. Uh-huh. Somebody once said to me, you are the six people you surround yourself with. And oh. I always look at that. Who am I spending my time with? Because that's who you are. And that's part of the way I pick my friends about who I want to be. Yeah. But you also said to me recently, I can't have any more friends. No, I can't have any more friends. Now, why is that? I'm rich in friends. I want to be a good friend. And you just can't be a good friend to everybody. Right, the volume. You're going for quality over quantity. Okay, what about you and friendship? What do you consider a good friend? Well, you're it. You're the gold standard. <laughs> Somebody I share my life with. I think you just said that yeah. a minute ago, and that really resonated. Someone I share my life with. And there aren't a lot of those people. Mm -mm. I'm stingy with friendship. I'm really stingy with friendship. And I think it's a time management issue in some ways. It's probably a vulnerability issue, if I was going to be honest with myself, which I rarely am. So this is a rare moment. A rare moment of honesty and authenticity. <laughs> no, it's more like a friend is someone who, that I feel completely comfortable, mm -hmm. no bra, in my PJs, serving you some leftover quesadilla for dinner. So I have a story about what I think a true friend is. Many years ago, I went to this adult class about how you, like, become a better leader or a better worker. I remember what it was. But in the course of that class, I realized that I am not always truthful. 
that I grew up in a household with a lot of denial and a lot of lying. And I had carried some of that into my adult life. And not that I lied to people, but I lied about things. Can I, would, I just time out for just yeah. a second? That's one of the biggest triggers for you in the world. Lying. Is lying. Yeah. And so to have that come kind of full face. Well, of course. It's like an alcoholic who can't drink. Interesting. Okay, go on. Sorry. So anyway, I realized this big epiphany. Oh, my gosh. I lie about what's happening around me. In all honesty, and I know we're going pretty deep pretty fast, but I lied about my husband. I lied about how he was having an affair. And I think my lies were what contributed to me not discovering it. Oh, my okay. goodness. So big, deep, deep dive. Sure. Yep. But I find out I'm a liar, which is, a, by the way, a pretty hideous thing to find out about yourself. Mm. And I went and I talked to my friend Lori, and I'm crying saying this. And I said to her, I'm a liar. And she said, I know. Oh, my God, of course you oh, are. You exaggerate everything. You make every story bigger. Yeah, she was like, no big deal. I love you. Like, I'm glad you finally figured it out. It was the most loving thing I think anybody has ever done for me. I delivered this gross thing to her, and yeah. she was like, oh, yeah, I love you. She's your perfect friend. She's my perfect friend. I love her for that. I love her, too. Was, you are tearing up talking yeah. about this. I can't. Yeah. I mean, I just want to give you so a hug. there we go. Friendship. So, and that is friendship. Like, yes, I knew that about you. And I don't see it as a hideous wart on your face. No offense to people who have warts on their faces. <laughs> in fact, it makes you who you are, which is lovely and amazing. And I've accepted you for it, right? That's someone who you want to share your yes. life with. But I also, she kind of kicks my ass about it sometimes, too. Right, exactly. She's like, you're exaggerating that. Or is that really what happened? And I don't feel offended. I'm like, uh -huh. hmm, I'm checking in about that because she might be right. Right, which is that unconditional love yeah. piece, right? When you have a deep, solid friendship that you do, you feel that unconditional love. And you're obviously feeling that with her. So, yeah, for me, I'm stingy with that. I don't know why. Maybe because to be that person who's willing to accept it, I have to, I don't know. We're not going to dig in. Where's Brene Brown? I dug in her? deep enough for I, both of us, I think. I think you did. I think I provided enough digging for both yeah, of us. Yeah, and so today we're talking about friends in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Well, you and I, when we started our friendship, I remember feeling around the edges of it. First of all, for people who don't know, there is not a social circle in this town we live in where somebody doesn't exclaim daily, oh my gosh, I love Kirsten Barron. I think Barron. you're exaggerating. No, it is. You're exaggerating. I swear if a bell rings every time somebody says, <laughs> I love Kirsten, I cannot go to the grocery store without somebody mentioning how much they love Kirsten. That's, you know, because I do free work for people. You I shouldn't have said that you because now think I have it, to do more. No, you think it's because you're a giver and because you do free work, but I think it's because you're lovely. And I remember, like, the first several times we worked together, I thought, Oh my gosh, I have to get to know this woman more. Like, you're so intriguing and intelligent. You're very kind, which is very nice since I just told you I was a liar. <laughs> and yeah, magnetic to be around. And I was totally intimidated by all of that. Which is funny because I was intimidated by you too. What? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, I don't believe it. But this it is for really a, a good conversation. Absolutely. Because you seem to be able to be so super laid back about the super effective and high-powered job with all this responsibility. But I think this points out something really interesting, which is that in the workplace, we're all having these feelings, right? Who are you? Are you interesting? Are you not interesting? Yeah. Do I, how do I have an avenue in here? Do I make a friend? Do I not make a friend? Yeah. And, and I think it's so different for different people, women, men, ages, you know? Like you were talking to me about Spencer's new job, up at Mount Baker. Uh-huh. 
and just noticing how he was with all of his coworkers. Well, yeah, so this is his second year working up there at the mountain, and he's 17, but he started working there right at the end of his sort of 15th year. So young, his very first job, really the first time he'd ever gotten a solid paycheck. And the motivator was because it was his social circle. He loves to snowboard. He would see his friends while he was working, and he had friends at work. He was getting paid to do a job, yeah, but the most important thing for him was the social aspect Hanging out with his buddies. Hanging out with his buddies. And he and I were talking about this episode You know, I said, it's interesting to me, friends at work, yada, yada. And he was like, wait, I don't get it. From his perspective, the only thing to do with your coworkers is to be their friend. Why would you work somewhere where you didn't have friends in the Mm -hmm. workplace? Mm -hmm. And not everybody feels that way. It's interesting. The opposite of the spectrum is my dad, who I can remember as a kid growing up, had no friends from work. We never had anybody for dinner he just did not have And those. this was intentional? I don't know if he was aware of it, but it was certainly what he created. Uh-huh. He would go out for a drink with people to drink, but I'm not sure if that was about the friend of the drink. Uh-huh. Like probably the drink. So I can say I don't think he had any friend during his work life. So do you think he intentionally sort of kept people at an arm's length? There is a firewall between mm-hmm. home and work. I'm here to work. I'm not here to make friends. And when I go home, I don't want to take any of you with me. I think for him it was probably a combination of things. But I also think that that was the way I think that he didn't think it was appropriate to have friends in the workplace. I think that what he felt is that it was not professional. Right, yeah. It was not professional to have friends in the workplace. And then he had all sorts of other issues. But I think if I had asked him, Dad, why don't you have any friends in the workplace? He'd say, because it's not professional to have friends in the yeah, workplace. I think that's what he would say. So from your perspective. So you got Spencer and my dad. And you deal with a lot of people, right? In your business, you have a lot of people coming through, representing all manner of workplaces in yes. this community. Yes, I talk to 20 people a day easily. Who work at nonprofit, for profit, big businesses, small businesses, right? Is there a shift? Is what we're talking about the function of someone's age or their generation? Or is there a shift and are more people, regardless of your age or generation, kind of approaching things like Spencer? Like, of course, why wouldn't I be well, friends? I, be friends with I spend them? 40 hours a week with these people. So I'm going to respond back to that question, kind of a deeper reflection, which is the issue that we're talking about is not about 2019. I think that people, for as long as we've been people standing up on our two legs living together, have been thinking about this, our relationships with each other. And I was just digging around and thinking about this issue, and I was looking at Aristotle. Okay, this is crazy, right? And I know I can't believe I'm saying Aristotle or whatever this is. I'm really not this philosopher person, but it was so striking to me the similarities between Aristotle and today. So he says, okay, there's a number of different kinds of friends. You have friendships of utility, people that you are friends with or have relationships with because you're doing the same thing, like at work. Mm -hmm. He would define work relationships as friendships of utility. Friendships of utility. Friendships of pleasure, typically for younger people, like Spencer, where you do things because it feels good to them together. You're on a sports team. You like to listen to music. You ride your bike. So they're all about some pleasurable experience. And common, yes. So common commonality, some kind of situational commonality. And here's where Aristotle kind of digs in, and he calls it the friendship of the good, which he considered the higher 
level of friendship, which is mutual appreciation, which I think is where we are. For each other? For each other. It's not about what we're doing. It's not about the coincidence of us being in the same place. It's really about you and me, and I'm looking at you, Karina, you and me, having mutual appreciation for the virtues about you that I hold dear. Right, so this is where it starts to get deep. Right, this so is where we fir- get to Lori. So the first one is utility, utility it, pleasure. It's on the surface. We're hanging out. I like you. It's really nice it's to have convenient. a friend at work. It's convenient. I'm going to tell you what I did last night. I'm not telling you I'm a liar. Right. And also, if I'm Spencer having that workplace of pleasure, I'm probably not telling him I'm a liar either. Right. Right. So these are actual layers. Yeah. So first one's utility. Second is a little bit deeper. I think he would say that the utility and the pleasure are similar types of friendships. Okay. Just for different reasons. And then the mutual good, is that what you said? It's friendship of the good, which is a relationship based on mutual appreciation of our virtues. Yeah. That's the Aristotle language. Is that the deepest one? Yeah, that's there, it. There are three and layers. And you continue to go deeper with that, right? That's the whole point is you're in this relationship where you continue to build trust, which takes time and energy. It also depends on both people mm-hmm. growing, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're all growing. So if I stop growing, Karina, I'm not going to be nearly as interesting as I was when you first started talking to me. Right. So that doesn't necessarily last forever. This thing that happened hundreds of years ago is, I think, happening today, too. And so your dad may have kept... His relationships. There may have been a generational difference where... It could be the difference of my dad being an older person in the workplace and Spencer being a younger person. I know, but he's intentionally keeping everyone at the utility level because, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to dig in deeper. I think I keep a lot of people at the utility level or at the second one, which is we're going to go do something together. Yeah, pleasure. Yeah, pleasure. Mm -hmm. I only identify people as friends. At the deepest level. So when we talk about this, it's funny because we've had this conversation several times and you've commented, you have tons of friends. And I maintain I have very few. Folks who are listening can't see this, but when I talk to Karina about the different, like I've got friends that are really close and friends at the second level. And Karina like looked at me in a puzzled sort of a way, like she didn't really get that. Nice night. What you're saying is that's not really me. Yeah, like I didn't identify those first two levels as friends. So even when we're defining what friendship is, I only say it's the deep level stuff. And I have a few of those and I don't have a lot of capacity for more because I want to give 100% to those few. And everybody else is just kind of an acquaintance. That's my philosophy now, too, which is I need to be a good friend to my friends. But I think one of the biggest predictors of your satisfaction in the workplace is whether you have a good... Whether you have a friend. friend. Okay, so let's transition into talking about this in the workplace. I think this is all such great groundwork for... For this conversation about friendship in the workplace because it's super meaningful to us and it really increases our joy and our experience of goodness and happiness in our workplace. In our Mm -hmm. satisfaction and at the same time comes with so many Fraught with perils. Fraught with perils. Right? I remember distinctly when other people were friends and I felt left out. So you recognize that there's something going on over there. Those two or three people, they had a potluck this weekend and I wasn't invited to it. Yes. By the way, I don't know if everybody loves potlucks as much as Bellingham loves potlucks. I hate a potluck. Why do we have to do potlucks all the time? It was when I couldn't afford to feed everyone, but I could at least let you come over to my house. 
Okay, I just hate a potluck. I know. But just for those of you off- who don't know, a potluck is I say, hey, we're all going to get together. I'm going to, you bring a dish too. And it comes from the Native American potlatch, which is everybody comes together as a community and brings food and gifts. That's where the idea Does it? Potlatch. Interesting, okay. huh? Minor history lesson. <laughs> so back to my story. Those people over there, they got something going on. And I wasn't part of it. I wasn't invited. Don't you think there's that initial feeling of being left out? Yeah. You know what I've done, though? I can remember thinking, I feel left out. And then when I really think about it, I'm like, that's okay. I don't really want to go either anyway. No, I'm happy that they had that experience. And if I want to create an experience, I can do that too. But mostly I'm just grateful that I didn't have to do that. (laughs) Honestly, I am. I'm like, I'm so glad they got to do that. But has that happened to you? That has happened to me. And what was your response? You know what it was, was I caught wind of it. Someone was like, well, are you going to go to da-da-da's house, oh. um, to blah blahs house? You know, I don't want to say the name. And I thought, no, I wasn't, I wasn't invited. invited. Weird. This feels weird. This was also at a time when I was feeling quite lonely at work. Oh. So my work friends were all gone for whatever reason, vacation, family leave, and I was feeling very lonely. So from that place of feeling lonely, recognizing other people had something I didn't, and it hurt. I didn't want to be at work. I didn't want to be there. I really did feel in my soul that I needed someone I could lean on, and I didn't have it. You know, so again, number one predictor. What did you do about it? Well, and I was still in communication with at least one of those people who was on family leave. So I did a lot of texting or whatever, which leads me to this next situation, which is you can have work friends who you think you've gotten kind of deep with. And then you leave that job and then you guys aren't friends almost instantaneously. Mm -hmm. Like you remove the situation, the common situation in the workplace and you're no longer part of their lives. That happened time and time again, having people cycle through my office, who I thought we were going to be friends forever. And then you have to work really hard to develop a friendship outside see, of I work. I think that's all okay. I think we just need to be open to that, right? right? To the flexibility and the continuity of those changes. Right. I've also had friends, or coworkers rather, who could not develop that connection in the workplace. Mm-hmm. They really couldn't. One woman in particular really struggled. She wanted friends and couldn't she make them? She wanted friends and couldn't make them. That's then a factor of trying to figure out what being a good friend is. I have a friend who has worked very hard to become a good friend. She is, like, methodical about it. She's got a formula? She's got a formula. She asks people how they are. She checks in with people on important dates. She follows up when she knows somebody needs something. Like, if you're sick, she's going to run you some tea over And she invites you over to her house to do fun things with other people. I look at this formula she's created, which comes really naturally to me, which didn't to her. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. So she's really intentionally studying. Does it feel authentic? Yes. Even though it's awkward, it comes from a place of goodness in her heart. And it does feel authentic. Even though it's forced, I'm like, yes. And it's funny because I appreciate and like her more for her efforts yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so that's, I, do. I think, what I would encourage people in the workplace. Like, try it, right? So someone wants to be your friend in the workplace, and you don't want to be their friend. Oh, yeah, that's another tough one. much more uncomfortable. Yes. Right? I asked someone to go out for coffee once, and they said, I don't have coffee with people from the workplace. And I was like, okay, boundary. And it was interesting. It was delivered in a kind of a... I don't date my coworkers kind of way, but it's a cup of coffee. It was a cup, of, but it was like, it was a boundary. It was a super strong boundary. And the message was delivered in a way that was kind of like hard to hear or just not very 
kind, actually, but I appreciated her honesty, Mm -hmm. right? And I thought to myself, how would I do that? And I just decided that when I didn't have time or when someone asked me to do something, I'm just like, gosh, that's such a great invitation. I'm doing da-da-da on that date, right? And so after a while, people get it. Or if they say, well, when can you do this? I myself am not as direct. I just put people off. I don't know if that's better or not, but that's what I do. So if someone wants to be your friend and you don't want to be their friend. I just put them off. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Have you talked to your therapist about that? Hell no. I'm not giving that one (laughs) up. Put that conversation off. Just kick that one down the road. And I'm keeping it. (laughs) Don't try to get me off that. I don't know what it's like to be my friend. Frankly, I don't know what it's like it's to It's great, sit. by the way. Oh, thank you. I love you. being your friend. I, it's interesting. It's fun. It's a challenge. I'm always thinking about new things. And see, that's what I mean, that you want that friend, right? That's what you want. That's what I call that's a friend. Me too. I had a coworker who was drawn to me because I'm a problem solver. Honestly, this is also, I think, why I am so protective. I attract people who want me to solve their problems. Me too. And God, I love them. I love solving problems. I'm really good at solving problems. Frankly, you want me solving your problems. But there's a difference between engaging as a problem solver and engaging as a friend. And I used to conflate the two. Yeah. And then I would get stuck in these relationships where the only They're thing not we had— No, the only thing we had in common they want was our you. mutual concern for them. Right. I've divorced several people. It was all early on, long time ago. I kind of came to this realization, like— I was pregnant with my oldest, so this was 17 years ago. It was the first day I felt him kick. And I got a phone call from a friend of mine, and I never got an opportunity to tell her that I felt my first baby kick. And that was such a moving realization. Oh, my gosh. That's right. This is totally one-sided. I have had coffee with somebody probably a dozen times, and they have literally not asked me one question about myself. Which is so, that's right. Like, if you want to make a friend in the workplace, which you should, be genuinely curious. Right. Don't make it all about you. But these are the friends who I try to avoid in the workplace because I'm a problem solver. You attract them. And a boss. It's my job to solve your problems, but not your personal problems. Right. And I think that distinction, right, that boundary is a tough one for people sometimes. So... I just think it's interesting how you have to figure out how to draw these clean boundaries Mm -hmm. while at the same time try to navigate finding someone you can relate to in your workplace. And I think that we know that friendships in the workplace make your workplace much better. But that doesn't mean that your friendships in the workplace have to be perfect or the be-all, end-all. No. It just means that you need to have relationships in the workplace with your coworkers because it makes you more satisfied. It makes your workplace more meaningful. And maybe for some of us, those are baby steps. What did you think about the game this weekend, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe for others of us, it's like, I'll be at your house after work. We'll have dinner and we'll do whatever. But there's a whole spectrum of things in between that I think can be really positive. If you're not happy in your workplace, that's a really good place to look. That's a good place to start. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we talked about this when we were talking about authenticity, that if you don't build camaraderie or friendship with your coworkers, not only does it create a situation where you may not be as satisfied at work, They're going to have your back. They're going to trust you more. If you are able to open up and relate on a more personal level, 
you will advance farther. It's a weird thing, right? It's like you're doing something because it's a, quote, good and valuable thing to do, but it actually advances you in the workplace. It's not just about, you know, oh, I'm happy right where I am. It gives you more opportunity. It gives you more opportunity. You're creating those people who advocate for you when you're not in the room, who understand what you're going through, Mm -hmm. if there's a struggle, who can support you. I mean, we are pack animals, right? You want that. We are pack animals. And they will assume the best about you. They will assume, Right, because they have good information about you. If there's a chance to decide if something is maybe bad or maybe good to make a judgment, they're more likely to go good. Yeah. Yeah. This has been so intriguing to me because— Just really recognizing how I define friendship was sort of one singular, and it was really that deep. Aristotle calls it— Aristotle's friendship of the good, which is like a mutual appreciation of it, as he would say, your shared virtues. Yeah. But all those other people, all those mm-hmm. friendships of utility and the friendships of, of pleasure, pleasure are all equally good. important. They're they all good. So they can be very good. Those are my friends, too. I didn't realize it. I do have a I lot like of friends. It. I like it. You do have a lot I of friends, Christy. I feel super satisfied with our time together today because now I've convinced you that you have a lot of friends. I know. Thank you for making me feel so good about myself <laughs> for this. What do you okay, do? you leave feeling good about yourself, and I've disclosed that I'm a liar. I can live with this. Oh, yes. Sorry. <laughs> I guess we'll just leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. Thanks for joining us, people. We hope that you can find meaningful relationships in your workplace. Good luck. Yes. Good luck. Well, that was fun. If you liked that episode, find us on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, take a look at our website at yougettowork.com. Thanks for listening. Karina and Kirsten Get to Work is recorded at community-powered KMRE 102.3 FM in Bellingham, Washington, and streaming at kmre.org. And thanks to our sound engineer, Kevin Leja. Thanks, Kevin.